So how do you communicate with someone who is drunk, high, volatile, um, narcissistic about your boundaries? So I, I don't know that you can in active addiction, right? When it's actively occurring, you know, if somebody's actively abusing you, you don't say my boundaries are to don't abuse me. You right. Know, that's not going to get you anywhere. Right. Uh, we have to leave. We have to go be safe. We have to separate. Right. And then if that person is willing to do the work, uh, and work on themselves, go to rehab, you know, work through the, the abusive issues they have, whatever that is in a professional setting, uh, then we can talk about coming back and what that process looks like. Yeah. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Till the Wheels Fall Off. I'm Matt. I'm Paige. Hi. <laughs> that was a new one, wasn't it? That is Dr. Christopher S. Taylor. Now, Dr. Taylor, you've heard us mention him. You've heard the ads for his amazing counseling firm on our show. Uh, He's also the clinical architect of a new upcoming course we have coming out called Independently Strong, which we will tell you much more about. But uh, Chris, introduce yourself to listeners. We've mentioned you a million times, by the way. So this is sort of like, I think they might feel like they know you a little bit. Oh, great. So... Uh, my name is Dr. Christopher Taylor, and I am a professional therapist. Professional therapist. He's also, uh, don't be so bashful, you were also appointed to several uh, state boards to mm-hmm. oversee mm-hmm. governance and yep. discipline. And Yes, uh, uh, Governor Abbott asked me to be on the licensing board uh, for professional counselors and for the Behavioral Executive Council here in the state of Texas. So, yeah, and that's, that's you fun. are you are a mental health extraordinaire. Uh, you, well, <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> and y'all are besties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full disclosure here: he's not just a guest. Chris and I are best friends, um, yeah. and so it's uh, it's kind of funny having your best friend as a therapist sometimes because mm. we talking to you. and I'm like, is he messing with me? Or are you being analyzed? I can't tell sometimes. Well, I will tell you. I'll I'll, I'll clear it up for you. Are you paying me? No. Then I'm not working for free. Dude. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, love I the say honesty. the same thing. Like like if my wife's like, you weren't listening to me. I was like. Well, I get paid to listen. Yeah, when you're really good at do something, doing something. She, she loves that. Oh, she I loves bet. That I, say I bet that. she does. Absolutely. Of course she does. <laughs> but we've got a, um, I mean, it's hard to pick one topic when we've got uh, someone with your just breadth of knowledge on the show. So we're going to kind of go through several different rapid fire topics for the yeah, show. Yeah, let's go. Um, something that we've never, paid. have we ever talked about codependency, just clearly codependency? Yeah, before? we had an episode very early on about codependency. Long, long ago. Yes. It's a term that I don't think we've ever absolutely loved. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's been misconstrued in a lot of ways, but it is underlying concept that we deal with here. Uh, In addict, alcoholic relationships, you generally have someone who's in a relationship that outsiders will see and say, why are you in this? At times you might even say, why why am I in this? Um, Let's talk about codependency for just a moment. And simple question, is codependency even a medical diagnosis? So no, uh, we don't diagnose codependency. Um, Codependency is more of a behavior, a uh, state of being, a uh, personality um, event, right? It's not medical. Uh, you don't get diagnosed as codependent. Um, much like you can't be diagnosed as an alcoholic. Like these are what we call colloquial terms. They're just normal words that we just use out there. Um, gaslighting. Uh, there's not a medical definition for it. It's not like 
a major depressive disorder, right? Where we would say, Hey, there's these nine criterion. You match yeah. these criterion. You have at least five of them. We, we can observe them and, you know, we can now diagnose as, as major depressive, right? Uh, as a major depressive episode, right? Uh, codependency is just more of kind of how you exist in that relationship, right? And you can be codependent with your parents. You can be codependent with your siblings. Uh, you can be codependent with friends. And of course you can be codependent in an abusive relationship. Yeah. Thank you for explaining yeah. that. It's better than we have done in the past. Absolutely. Sure. It's very clear. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So when we talk about, uh, codependency, the other half of this is alcoholism addiction Give us a bit of your background when it comes to uh, working with the state, um, changing some of the ways in which alcoholics, addicts are dealt with, social learning theory. Discuss mm-hmm. with me some of that because you had some, your research has led to some groundbreaking ways and revolutionary ways in which we deal with this in the state of Texas. Yeah. So, uh, my research, uh, was in family drug court programs. So it was the application of social learning theory and human capital into the drug court programs. Uh, Dallas County was starting up a family drug court program for the first time. Uh, and, uh, I was, uh, in, my doctoral program and seemed like a really great thing to do research on and and work on and work with. And so I was very fortunate just to be in the right place at the right time, I think. Uh, And uh, what we discovered was that family drug court programs basically had no, um, no research based foundation. Um, We were pulling everything from adult drug court programs, which just is not the same when you have, when you have minor children involved, when parents are trying to get their kids back, it's a very different type of program. So what we wanted to come in and say was that we studied a bunch of different programs throughout the state or South Southwest. Uh, and some of them were out of Texas. And we, um, we basically said like these, these points, um, you know, we were able to monitor their drug testing. We we're able to monitor uh, their uh, success in the program, how often they went to AA meetings, how often they went to therapy, all these things. And we were able to show uh, that uh, if you completed a program, these were the things that were most beneficial. And then if you were able to complete a program, the recidivism rate, which meant that the your likelihood of using again or having a child taken away from you again, plummeted. It went way down. And so this has led to foundation for policies and procedures for family drug court programs. Very cool. Um, to what degree are families studied within a drug court program? Because what we're generally concerned with on, the, on our show is uh, the effects that alcoholism and addiction has on a family unit. Yeah. Has on the people that are around these folks. Right. So because uh, we we anchored the study in social learning theory, what we what we found was that when we remove the addict from the environment that they were in uh, and put them in a new social environment, that their ability for progress and growth, uh, the likelihood of their success went up drastically. What about the people around them? Did you see them get healthier as a result as well? Was it measured? Was it not? Well, we didn't measure that directly because we didn't have a mechanism for that. Sure. But what we could see is that they were then reunified with their kids. And, you know, they'd come back a year later or two years later and we would interview them and they would talk about having a healthy, stable job. Uh, you know, they would talk about being active in their kids' lives. 
you know, so we call this human capital, right? Where, where we invested in building a new environment for this user, this addict, they then became better. They graduated and now they're a productive member of society, investing in a healthy place for their kids, investing in a healthy place for their, for their friends, for their family. Uh, and then we'll all benefit together. So I think at this point you've more than qualified yourself. <laughs> you've, you've done the research, you've done sure. dissertations, you've been in the field forever. How long have you been doing this? Uh, I've been in mental health now for probably about 15, 16 years, starting at CPS as a caseworker. Um, I've been a licensed professional since 2012, I think. Okay. Quite some time now coming up on how many, oh, I shouldn't say how many, but, um, to what extent do you work with people like listeners, like people who are in relationships with toxic people or, or alcoholics or addicts and, or addicts and alcoholics themselves? Does this come up a lot? Oh, this comes up uh, a lot. Yeah. It's a very common issue. Okay. Yeah. So you've got experience here. You've mm -hmm. worked through some of the stuff on your own, um, with these folks, um, and you oversee a huge staff that does the same. Yeah. We talk about alcoholics, addicts, and we've touched on narcissism a bit. And narcissism has become the new buzzword for people that are just generally a pain in the ass in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> like it used I to know be, the type. Yeah, I know the type. <laughs> it used to be just sort of like that guy's a maniac yeah. or whatever, but narcissist is a new term. And I don't think people are always in, using it incorrectly, but oftentimes what we do have is people that are not mental health professionals diagnosing other people yeah. out in the world. Um, there are criteria for being mm -hmm. a narcissist mm -hmm. and Paige and I have identified um, that a lot of these criteria, if I were to cover up the top of the chapter and were to ask anyone, who am I talking about? An addict or a narcissist? It's like, mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. It sounds very much the same. So what are the criteria for a narcissist. What is a narcissist? Mm -hmm. Let's get to the root. So of it. from a clinical standpoint, we're looking at narcissistic personality disorder. Okay. Which is a personality disorder, uh, which is really simply summed up as somebody with the inability to experience empathy and an obsession with, uh, power advancement, growth, um, money, uh, you know, fame for themselves. Right. Grandiosity. Yeah. Grandiosity. Yeah. Mayo Clinic, Mayo Clinic, which we all know Mayo Clinic. Yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. Came up with this fancy thing called special me. Special me. Special me. Look, I'm going to read it for you. I pulled it up right okay. here. You can go check this out. Uh, special me is sense of self-importance. Okay. Right. Preoccupation with power, beauty, or success. Entitled. Can only be around people who are important or special interpersonally exploitive for their own gain, arrogant, lack of empathy, must be admired, envious of others, or believe that others are envious of them. So that's your nine points right there with an acronym that spells out. Special, Special me. Special me. That's clever. I like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I wish I came up with it. Right? It'd be a great t-shirt. <laughs> what percentage of the general population that has been studied is NPD? A very large zero to six percent. Zero to six. Zero to six percent. <laughs> okay, so it's not yeah. a lot. No, it's not. Yeah, and it depends on where you live too. So if you look at like a city like New York, where you have Wall Street, right, you're going to find a, a larger concentration. That's where you're going to see closer to your six percent. You know, you go to Topeka, Kansas, 
I mean, farmers know. are probably not going to yeah, be. Yeah, it's going to be a lot high. lower. Yeah. Okay. Now, is na- narcissism, and this is my understanding, is that it operates on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So there is um, being a pure empath at one end of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then at the other end, being a full blown narcissist. Right. Yeah. So everyone has some degree of narcissism in them. Right. Yeah. We look at the idea of narcissism as self love, right? So everyone has some degree of that. Uh, you know, we, we have some degree of wanting to protect ourselves for our own survival, right? Like that's okay. That's That's healthy. healthy. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Right. But it's when you're willing to push an old lady out of the way because (laughs) you might sprain your ankle, you know, you might, you might be drifting a little towards that narcissism. Yeah. Okay. When it comes to addicts and alcoholics, Mm -hmm. It's hard to tell which came first, the chicken or the egg. Is Are they narcissists first that just happen to drink or are they just mm-hmm. drinkers that act like narcissists whenever they're under the influence? The, the research on this is muddy, I would say at best. Mm-hmm. Anything I've ever read is sort of like it's hard to determine. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your What are your thoughts on this? Uh, I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters. The fact is, is that you you are where you are now. I don't think it matters if, if narcissism leads to alcoholism or alcoholism needs, leads to narcissism. I mean, we see a lot of uh, comorbidity with homelessness and, uh, schizophrenia, you know, yeah. it's, it's obviously going to be very common that somebody with schizophrenia is going to become homeless, but, but, uh, there's a high, there's a high risk factor there. Um, you know, but we could also just say it's homeless people that become schizophrenic. I mean, we don't have evidence to show, right? right. We don't, we don't the know. Causal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we can definitely say there's a big overlap. Sure. You know, that's but, fair, but we can't scientifically say this is the cause. Okay. Addiction as a disease, narcissism is a disorder, not a disease, right? Yeah. But neither of these things have cures. There's treatment, but not cures. Right. Personality disorders do not have cures. Much like uh, depression could be cured. Um, uh, personality disorders are they're a part of your personality. They're present in you mm-hmm. no matter what. Yes. So in much the same way. So can people recover from narcissistic type behaviors? Absolutely. Yeah. We can learn and grow. We can develop empathy. We have those abilities. Uh, but we have to choose to confront unhappy thoughts and unfortunate things. And you have to be self-aware too. We have to have some level of self-awareness, which I'm sure for some, I don't know how high on the narcissism scale you have to score, but at some point you probably lose the ability to do that. Well, you know, there's, we look at CEOs of major companies, right? Those uh-huh. are always going to score high on any type of narcissist evaluation, right? We're talking a seven and eight, right? You think you can run Walt Disney? Like, like that's a huge company. That's a massive job. You got to have quite the ego. You got to have a pretty strong ego to believe that you can do what other people can't to yeah. believe that you're special. You know, look at Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong, like to be an astronaut, to be the first man on the moon. You got to believe that there's something special about you. Yeah. You know, to be a president of the United States, uh, uh, you know, there, there's some, there's some historical studies or where, where we've gone back and have applied, um, uh, narcissistic personality tests to, to their biographies, you know, and almost every president of the United States scores very high in that category, you know? <laughs> right. So, so it's, it's not, um, like these things are, it's very possible that, that these people are narcissists or had some type of narcissistic personality disorder. The issue is that when we get to a place 
where the rules no longer apply to us. And we are willing to manipulate and exploit other people for our own good. You know, that's when, that's when the, the deviant behavior comes in. That's when criminal behavior comes in and somebody is willing to go all, you know, house of cards or game of Thrones, you know? Yeah. That was you. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So like the, right there at the very end, uh, it sounds like I can't tell if you're talking about an addict or a narcissist. Like, so yeah. once again, so I think it's not so much important as to what, like if I'm the abuser in the situation, what I am, I think what matters more possibly is how the other person feels from the abuse. So no matter how you want to label this person, because at the end of the day, there's are labels, diagnosis, whatever. Um, how does it feel to the person that's in this relationship? Mm-hmm. Um, gaslighting, uh, the the denial, the deflection, uh, the projection, the selfishness. The what's that? Manipulation. Manipulation. Like all these things are, are, are very simple. I mean, I'm sorry, but are very similar. So when it comes to what can someone do about it? Like what can you do if you find yourself in a relationship with a narcissist or with an alcoholic, because oftentimes alcoholics, when they just remove the substance, mm-hmm. um, what you're left with, like I have, you want to hear something fun from AA? I got, I got a lot of these. Um, yeah. Uh, when you take, uh, alcohol away from the alcoholic, all you have left is the ick. So, <laughs> so, like so what you get is just this person you've taken their pacifier yeah. away and they're often, what you yeah. get is just the exposed yeah. raw behaviors of who they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, are, is, is the, is the journey of empowerment the same, the journey of education and validation, all that. And from a clinical standpoint, what do you do with someone that comes in your office and says, I'm in the relationship with this terrible person. What do I do? Yeah. So that's a big question. Uh, it's a difficult question to answer, um, outside of, you know, the therapeutic relationship, right? Because there is no one size fits all answer. You know, there is no, there is no right answer. There's only the right answer for you and for Mm -hmm. your life. Uh, so when we're working with people like this, and I've worked with many clients, um, that were in abusive relationships that were in probably narcissistic abusive relationships. Uh, and it requires a lot of empowerment. You know, one, we, we normalize, we let them know that it's okay, that it's okay to feel this way, that it's okay to be afraid. Uh, you know, then we, then we try to educate a little bit, you know, let's walk through why some of these things are happening, how you got here. Uh, and then it's about empowering. You know, it's about empowering them to choose uh, if they want to step up for themselves and set new boundaries and requirements in the relationship, or if they want to get out of the relationship uh, and and go try uh, something else. So it, it comes with doing the work. Oh yeah, doing the work. Yeah. Um, I think oftentimes, like we opened up with this discussion of sort of codependency. Um, I can speak from an addict standpoint. I was pretty convinced that there was a solution, but I just hadn't found it yet, mm-hmm. and I thought that. It was about the days that I used or the substances that I used or the right mixture of what I was using, the ingredients. And I thought that if I got my mix just right, if I substituted, if it it was just this type of whiskey that, that, that made me act Mm -hmm. that way. If I can just remove that type of whiskey and just use beer instead, then everything will be fine. Switch opiates for marijuana or cocaine or some kind of amphetamine, whatever it might be, then then everything will be fine. And I chased that solution. I chased that, that thought that I just, I could find the perfect ingredient rather than having the, the thought for one moment that maybe abstinence is for me. And and I think a lot of times we, we see people in relationships with, with these narcissistic types or these addictive types. 
And what they're doing is they're looking and they're coming to places like the show. They're, they're coming to uh, therapy offices. They're, they're meeting up with coaches. They're reading, they're listening to podcasts and they're looking for that answer. Like mm-hmm. they just, it's tough because I understand where it comes from. Like I'm very much too, I've been there before myself, but it's, um, it's tough because I, th- I think people are much smarter than they give themselves credit for. And I think that if the answer was out there, you would have figured it out. Like you're, you're plenty smart and capable and able mm-hmm. and, uh, you're the smartest guy I know and you don't have the answer. So uh, there, there is no, <laughs> there's no magic answer. I'm saying, I mean, you have solutions, right? But there's not an answer. Yeah. One, I think you should get smarter friends. <laughs> Just throw that out there. <laughs> two, uh, two. Yeah. There is no answer. At least not one that I could find. Uh, there's no magic pill. If there was a magic pill, uh, I would have taken it already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and uh, I mean, there just isn't, I, I mean, if there was look like, you know, Pfizer would be selling that thing. They would, <laughs> I would shell out all of my money for it. You know, yeah. I mean, we all would. Right. But there is no pill. There is no, uh, you know, I mean, there's Xanax, I guess, but you know, <laughs> yeah. that only works for a while. Right. right? Yeah. Very temporary. Uh, so there is no magic pill. There is no one answer fits all. Um, you know, life is so much more complex and so much more beautiful than this one simple thing. So I, I think, you know, I think life happens, you know, for you, right? Life, life does not happen to you, you know? So you get to choose, you get to empower yourself on the choices that you want to make on how you want to live. That's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. Really is. Um, Let's talk, shift the conversation for just a moment to boundaries. I think this possibly is the most asked question next to how do I help this person, which we've kind of covered there. Mm -hmm. Um, Boundaries. I think boundaries, boundaries are really effective when they're used properly. Mm -hmm. Um, Boundaries will also expose some of the most painful things that you'll ever learn about other people. Yes. Uh, Because that's what they do. Essentially, they expose um, that this person doesn't respect me. They, They expose that. This is mm-hmm. a bad relationship for me. They mm-hmm. expose that this is this is not healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a good boundary versus a bad boundary? Yeah, I think you know if you want to find out who is taking advantage of you in your life, you throw up some boundaries. <laughs> you <know? laughs> you yeah. find out very quickly. Uh, so boundaries, healthy boundaries, are both firm and flexible, right? Uh, unhealthy boundaries are typically. Um, you know, radically inflexible, right? Uh, and what I mean by that is, um, like if if we're gonna get together for some coffee, right? You know, at at Starbucks, okay, okay. Uh, and um, they're not doing great, so we figure give them some free advertisement. Yeah, exactly. Know, we need our help. I prefer uh, <laughs> filtered in downtown McKinney, Texas. There we go. That's a good one. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't really care as long as it's black. Yeah. Right? I'm just going to drink it because yeah. I am a caffeine addict. Right? <laughs> so, uh, but say we meet up at uh, filtered, right, for uh, for a cup of coffee, and I'm like, hey, I'm going to meet you there at two, right? You show up at two o five, and I lose it, right? That's unhealthy. Right? That's an unhealthy boundary. You know, now let's say you show up at two thirty-five, right? It's okay for me to say, "Hey, man, that's that's disrespectful of my time." You know, mm-hmm. there is a place in there in the boundary where it's like, I, "I, you know, we agreed to do this. We're adults. You know, we agreed to be at this place at this time. We agreed to take out the trash on Tuesdays. We agreed, you know, that you would be home at this time. We agreed that, you know, you're not doing work on vacation. You know, we agreed to these things, right?" 
So there is a little bit of like, oh, okay, well, they're five minutes late. Like, who cares, right? And then there is this whole, you are taking advantage of me. You know, you are, you are exploiting me. You are, you are, uh, you're, you're pushing me out of the way for your needs, you know, or for things that you want, even though we've had an agreement. Otherwise the agreement part is very important. A lot of times we forget to have the conversation about the boundaries (laughs) and just sort of expect people to do what we want without telling them what we need, you know? So we haven't communicated our boundaries. All of a sudden people are going to notice and you're going to find some very uncomfortable interactions with friends and family, you know? So in the, in the world like of normal relationships, thank you. And, and thank you. That's a perfect explanation. Wait, of, I think that we're all psychopaths cause we all drink black coffee. Yeah, that's right. None of us drink any cream or sugar. No, I think I'm normal. Just black <laughs> coffee. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. That is the, I mean, because people the, tell me all the time you're crazy. For that is the natural state of coffee. coffee. Um, I know a lot of people that it's just interesting. say that they love coffee, but the, when I go with them to get coffee, in fact, they, they like milkshakes. These aren't I coffee. I like milkshakes too. <laughs> and but. I love milkshakes too. Don't get me wrong, but that's not, that's not coffee. Yeah. No coffee snobbery here for just a moment. But anyway. Okay. Um, oh no, man, I, I'm with you. Like I, and this might, this might like drift a little bit into narcissism, but I do believe Starbucks should have a separate line for people that want black coffee quicker because it takes two seconds to ring it up it's like two dollars and 15 cents yeah and i'm going to use my little touchless payment thing i'm yes. going to be in and out why do i have to stand behind the guy that wants 15 frappuccinos yeah, yeah when i, I ordered from some place that i just said i want a black coffee he goes you are the easiest order of the day I know, right? I was like, yeah. oh man yeah, yeah they, people can get wild with their coffee yeah. orders for not ordering a candy bar for right. breakfast <laughs> <laughs> so in the world of healthy relationships, I think that, yeah, like time boundaries, um, like respecting my time, that's a, a healthy boundary to have. And you're right, not so rigid, not so flexible. Sometimes when boundaries, do boundaries, some is it required at some points and is it okay or healthy at some points to have a rigid boundary? Let's talk about in the world of sobriety. So sure, yeah. sobriety, um, abstinence, like we're not talking about harm reduction here. We're talking about yeah. abstinence. So you either drink or you don't. Right. Let's say I have a boundary that if you drink, if you are at home, because one of my values is sobriety. I value sobriety in my mm-hmm. relationships and in myself, with my children, in my home. And you you break that boundary. Mm-hmm. Then I have a boundary that if you drink, I am out. Mm-hmm. Or if you drink, then you must leave. You cannot be around me to keep me safe. Is that a fair boundary? Uh, I think it can be if you guys have both discussed it and have worked through it and said, look, this is, this is the boundary that we're going to do moving forward. And because of these reasons, um, you know, this is what we've agreed to. This is what we're doing. Deciding it unilaterally. That's not really a boundary. You know, that's just punishment. Right. Right. You know, not communicating to the other person. So they don't know what's going to happen. You know, I mean, we all know what happens if you get a speeding ticket, right. You know, punishments there just tells you what it is yeah so we need to know what those things are we need to have a conversation about it but more importantly we need a conversation about why right because the why in the boundary matters a lot our boundaries might be very different we might value different things and that's okay Um, but the reason why we value those things the reason why we have those boundaries is really important and when we fully understand somebody else's values and boundaries it's really, it was a lot easier for us to respect them or to at least know what's coming if we mess up. Right. Yeah. Nice. So how do you communicate with someone who is drunk, high, volatile, 
um, narcissistic mm-hmm. about your boundaries. So I, I don't know that you can in active addiction, right? When it's actively occurring, you know, if somebody's actively abusing you, you don't say my boundaries are to don't abuse me. You right. know, that's not going to get you anywhere. Right. Uh, we have to leave. We have to go be safe. We have to separate. Right. And then if that person is willing to do the work, uh, and work on themselves, go to rehab, you know, work through the, the abusive issues they have, whatever that is in a professional setting. Uh, then we can talk about coming back and what that process looks like. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. And that affirms what we've said a lot. And by the way, we, we often run information through you before we come out here and just say stuff. I want people to know that too. So stuff is usually vetted, checked uh, a bit. We do have the freedom to kind of say what we want, but at the same time, it's coming from a good place. Um, yeah, boundaries, I think are often people look at boundaries almost as like the magic bullet that is going to fix the relationship. And this is going to be the thing that when I do this, then he's going to see my perspective and then he's mm-hmm. going to respect me and he will change. Yeah. Um, but it's generally not the case. Generally what happens, you have your heart broken when they run smooth over that boundary. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do? What do you do? I think it's what we generally get the question. The next question is, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. We've already decided. Right. Cause we sat down and we talked about it. Yeah. We sat down and we said, this is the boundary. This is why it's the boundary. And this is what's going to happen if we don't respect the boundary. So then we go and do that thing. Yep. You know, if, if the boundary was, uh, you know, I need you to respect my time. And if we're going to get together, like, let's, let's be respectful of that. And let's get together at two o'clock and you show up again at two thirty-five. you know, I'm just going to be like, Hey man, I'm not going to meet with you anymore. Yeah. You know, this just isn't no. like, I'm not being respected. My time's not being valued. You know, uh, and so it's a two way street, right? So if, if, if those boundaries aren't being respected, uh, then it's time to follow through and, and either in the relationship, uh, move out of the house, get them into rehab, whatever it is, uh, but separate. Right. And be prepared for that backlash because it is going to happen. Oh yeah. It's coming. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. yeah. Okay. Um, another question that, that we get a lot is. I've set the boundary that if, if, if my husband drinks, um, then I cannot be in the home. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people will, will sort of look at boundaries and they'll, they'll look at it. It was sort of a black or white thing where it's mm-hmm. like, well, why would I just leave the home? I'm just going to leave the relationship. And they'll start with that. Mm-hmm. When the moment comes, when what they've essentially done is just give an ultimatum. That's more right. ultimatum ish. Um, and when that happens, they're not ready to follow through on that boundary. Would you recommend people start small? Oh, we have to start small. Yeah. Uh, so s- developing boundaries uh, for somebody who's not used to having boundaries, which is pretty common with codependent relationships, is kind of like breaking your right hand and then picking up a pencil with your left hand <laughs> and assuming that you're going to be able to write your name properly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> This isn't going well. <laughs> it's right. not going to go well. You know, maybe you're one of those gifted people that's ambidextrous. Ambidextrous like, got job. Yes, yes. But I am not. And I will sometimes just to remind myself of like how grateful I am to still have my right hand. You know, I'll just try to sign something yes, with my left hand. Yes. I'm like, ah, I can't even write the date. <laughs> quick, quick story. If you've got kids in the car, uh, earmuff them. Yeah. So we've got the elf in our house, right? Oh, yeah. And the elf writes notes. Mm-hmm. But the elf can't write with my right hand. So you do your left hand. That's funny. It is the most awkward thing in the world. It's all over the page. It's so hard to do. <laughs> I know. Yes. Yeah, it's so challenging. It's so yep. hard to do. Okay. Yeah. So starting small with boundaries is, is effective. It's an yeah. effective way to sort of um, bridge that gap between what you ultimately know 
to be true, which mm-hmm. is that you might have to walk mm-hmm. out yeah. until you're comfortable and to be gentle with yourself to know it's okay. Yeah. This is okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay to start small. Yeah. We start small and we build boundaries around our values, yeah. right? So, you know, if you value yourself, then you want to build boundaries around yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've often said, um, boundaries are for, to protect you. Mm-hmm. They're not to necessarily punish other people, That's although right. they may view it that way. Mm-hmm. And That's that right. might be the result of, of you, of them violating your boundary, mm-hmm. but it starts with the values. Um, you mentioned human capital earlier. We mm-hmm. start, we opened this up and, I know enough about your company that that's one of your core values. Right. Companies have values, but yeah. people have values. Mm-hmm. Relationships mm-hmm. have values. Mm-hmm. What happens when you've lost your identity to the extent that you don't even know where to freaking start? Who am I? What are my values? Yeah. That is a big, tough question. I don't even know who I am. And that's, that's a big fear that keeps a lot of people in the relationship mm-hmm. too, is that if I, uh, if I leave, well then who am I, who am I without this person? Right. That's, that's the, the, the standard plight of the codependent. Right. And the first step in developing self-awareness is recognizing where you are and what you don't like about where you are. Okay. So if you don't know, what you are, what do you not like? Mm-hmm. We start with that. Yeah. We start with this. What do I not like about my situation? What do I not like about who I am right now? And then we'll start to think about what do I like and what do I want? Obviously I don't like being abused. So let's move out of the abuse. Then we can figure out what I do like and where I do want to go. So I value peace and harmony mm-hmm. as opposed to abuse. So you, you would, create a boundary around peace and harmony. Right. Exactly. That's how that works. But it's tough to do whenever you have been beaten to a situation where you're like, I, I don't know who I am or what I am. Yeah. It's extremely difficult. It feels very overwhelming. It feels like it's too much at times. Uh, you try to do all this at once. Uh, it's too much. It's too much. Yeah. Yeah. But we also live in like a society that's telling us to look at the positives all the time. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to always look at our values and then we dismiss the things that we don't like. Right. And you're telling us to kind of swap it a little bit and look at the things you don't like. For yeah. Now. I'm telling you to do the opposite of everything you've heard on TikTok or Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you brought up something I'd love to discuss really quick. Is, yeah. Um, this concept of toxic positivity mm-hmm. where I think so often people end up in these relationships because they are given, I'm just going to say what it is, bad advice. Mm-hmm by those around them mm-hmm. where their gut is telling them something is wrong yeah. and they're told, just look at the positives. Just think of the things that are good about your life. Look Be at grateful. gratitude. And that stuff has a place mm-hmm. uh, in journaling mm-hmm. when you're examining your life, when you've been depressed or when you're in a rough place. But yeah. when you're being abused by somebody, it's dangerous advice. Am I right? Oh yeah. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. And also that person probably doesn't know the depth of the relationship. Yeah. They're not right, in right. it. Yeah. They don't know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. If you are in a relationship with a narcissist, it's very common that that person might seem extremely charming and liked by others. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're good at doing that. Huh? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now th- that, that comes up a lot is uh, people that are often like, I'll see it in the comments. Like someone will post a heartbreaking story where they're just venting mm-hmm. and people will be, they'll, they'll say things like you can't be upset with him. That's just the alcohol. That's just the disease. Just look at the mm-hmm. bright side. Just look at the positives. Yeah. You know, the fact that you have a roof over your head, the fact that you have air to breathe. It's like mm-hmm. we're digging deep now for things to get grateful for. Like, listen, <laughs> you don't have a loving relationship. You don't have someone you can uh, share mm-hmm. your, you know, your deepest desires with. You don't have a partner in crime. 
let's let's not forget that mm-hmm. you you do deserve those things um and the fact that they're not there is a problem just looking at the gratitude sometimes i think we can that's what toxic positivity is mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's discarding the stuff that is truly wrong and is a problem it shows up in a red flag in your gut shows up in a red flag in your life but we're often told because of instagram and tiktok and oh yeah these these you know these memes that people post that um yeah, everybody, uh, especially recently, has been posting photos of their family vacation to Greece because, uh, like, everyone in America went to Greece over the last two years, apparently. Exchange rate thing or something? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but what they don't post is uh, all the fights that they had while they were there. Yeah. You know, they don't post the negative stuff. They just post these, like, filtered, perfect photos of how awesome their life is. Mm-hmm. Highlight reels. You know? Yeah, when in fact, it's it's really not. Yeah. And that's reality. Mm. Like, is there okay? This is this be a fun one. Um, narcissists can sometimes present themselves in different ways. I think we've talked about like the grandiose type, and they're really mm-hmm. easy to identify. Yep. Like I am, I am God. I am the greatest ever. Everyone, look at me, watch me. And there's more of a covert type mm-hmm. um, where they can they can put on what Chris Williamson calls uh, performative empathy. Like mm-hmm. there's this shallow pond of empathy that they can pull from at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's more insidious. It's, yeah. it's much more um, manipulative. And I think alcoholics, addicts, a lot of time we operate in that space. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time where it's like, are they good? Are they honest? Are they not? And it will drive you freaking crazy, mm-hmm. drive you absolutely crazy. I mean, obviously you're going to be, I think that, no secret, you're a proponent of therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, can you discover these types of things about other people without them in the room working with a the therapist? Uh, you know, it's pretty difficult. Uh, therapy works in a, in a relationship with the client. You know, there's not really a whole lot we can do for somebody outside of the therapeutic relationship. Uh, and, and if, and if somebody were to come to me, a patient comes to me and wants to work on getting out of this narcissistic relationship that they're in with this abuser, my, my hope, my goal here is not going to be to help diagnose or label this person. I'm not even going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on them, their emotions, where they are right now and helping them to, you know, be empowered to build a safe space. So no different than when someone were to come to you and say, my husband, my boyfriend, my Mm -hmm. wife, my girlfriend is an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Help me help them. Yeah. You can't. Mm -mm. It's about you at this Mm -hmm. point. I can help you. I can work with you. Uh, Or if they'd like to come in, we can try that. Um, But that's it. Yeah. Um, So we've we've built this. this Also, Also, this goes for parents, too. Okay. <laughs> Let's get here. Let's There's here. a lot of moms and dads out there that bring their kids into therapy. Okay. And they're like, fix my son. And I'm like, well, it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but I'd love to talk to you though. Yeah. So, so be supportive. Yes. But you know, um, they, they've got to want the help. They got to want to change. Right. Yeah. Um, We've built an online course that, um, if not already out by the time this episode airs, will be out mm-hmm. very soon uh, called Independently Strong mm-hmm. uh, with the overarching goal to help people, to, to validate people, to educate them, to empower them, um, to walk them through their own recovery journey. And we mm-hmm. discuss a lot of these concepts here. You were the clinical architect of this course. Um, and we cover a lot of these concepts, but I think what's going to break people's heart about it is that uh, sort of what's what's happened here in this episode is that there's not a clean cut answer Mm-mm. that is going to just fix your problems. No, no, there's not. 
I think oftentimes people show up saying, help me fix him yeah. when it's just like you say, just in like the therapeutic relationship, it's like, let's, let's focus on you. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Solid tools. There's some solid tools to help. Yes. Yeah. I think we've done, I, to, I think I personally, I'm a little biased. Yeah. I think we did a great job. Yeah, both, <laughs> both of you, both, especially Paige. She did amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank Paige you. basically walked everyone yeah. through that thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but look, it's not one size fits all because this isn't J crew, man. Okay. <laughs> like, this is not, this is not the gap. All right. You are unique. So don't you deserve unique solutions? Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think oftentimes people will think that the facts and their situation is unique, then there must be a different solution because my solution, my situation is unique. So, mm-hmm. um, oftentimes people come to Page or, or, or me, and they'll, they'll hop in our DMs or comment on something, and it's like we can we can provide an overview situation. Like, but mm-hmm. I'm different because I've been with him for X amount of years mm-hmm. because we have this amount of kids, and yeah. that certainly changes things, right? Yeah. The answer is well, yes, you are unique, uh, but we still have the same uh, we ha- we still have the same uh, course for you to work through. We still have the same tools. We still have the same path. Uh, right. It's just going to be a little different for you. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's a unique solution for you. So yeah. yes, you are special, <laughs> but not more special than anyone else. Okay. I like that. It's a very midline good. narcissistic scale thing to say. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you are special, <laughs> yes. but not more special than anyone else. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, I'd like to talk about and Paige. You've got to get involved here. Unless you're on like this Taylor one. Swift, I guess. You she know, is she's pretty. Special. She's pretty special. Pretty special. <laughs> Sydney would say so. This is a difficult topic to discuss because we are talking oftentimes about victims of abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me just speak from a place that I'm comfortable before I get into hot water and somewhere I don't <laughs> want to talk about. Leave this for the two of you. Um, Addiction can be caused by uh, many different things, right? Some of it's uh, childhood trauma. Some of it's trauma uh, that's ongoing in our lives. Some of it is no more complicated than the fact that we just like an altered state of mind. It's just fun. <laughs> you know, it's fun to get messed up and for it's multitude of reasons. Um, but oftentimes alcoholics or addicts feel very unique in the reasons that they use. If you had my wife, if you had my job, if you had my kids or my background or my situation, if you grew up where I did, then you would do the same things that I'm doing right now. So we project and we rationalize. Mm -hmm. Um, In many ways, addiction is similar to codependency. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, in order to get out of it, I had to look at the role that I played in my own suffering. So what I was saying in many ways, like, in, but addicts have a broken sense of cause and effect where I, I can look at a situation and say, well, I drink because my wife is cold and she doesn't talk to me and mm. we haven't had sex in six months and mm. she wants nothing to do with me. And that's why I drink when the reality is she's like that because I drink. Right. So <laughs> I think we turn these things around. Like, yeah. well, um, but anyway, I had to look at the role I played in my own suffering in order to acknowledge that. It was my decisions that led me to where I was and Mm -hmm. and perpetuated it even and kept me in it. How are addiction and codependency similar in that way? How, what, in the role we play in our own suffering and Paige, I want to get you involved here because you've worked through this. You've worked others through this as well. Yeah. Let's go with Paige first. Me? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Well, I just, I 
decided to stick with you for many, many years and tolerate behaviors that were going against my values. And that's my part. I allowed it for a long time until I was like, eh, I'm going to start detaching now and I don't want to allow this anymore. But that was most of my part. And I think I know at this point, uh, even if you don't know it, I know it, that if I were to ever get out of line again, you would have no problem whatsoever walking out. Yeah. That's the boundary we put in place pretty quickly after you got out of treatment. But I think in, in doing that though, you've acknowledged the role that you play mm-hmm. here Yeah, and that we can look at our situation and say we are a victim of, sometimes we are a victim because, mm-hmm. um, and so sometimes we can put ourselves in these situations for entirely too long. And it's tough to say to someone who's been manipulated and there is context that matters from the other side of it. Right. Like as for as many valid reasons as I had for why I drank, I still kept myself in a really tough situation. How are codependents chasing that same thing? You know, mm-hmm. we've talked about like um, trauma bonds, and I think that it can be explained from trauma bonds. But at some point, recovery looks like acknowledging the role that we play in our own suffering. Yes. So you've walked through that. Yeah. And then after, whenever my um, anxiety and depression and panic attacks all started coming up, I couldn't blame you for that. I had to look at myself to heal from whatever was causing it in the beginning. So yeah. that was what's my been part. your experience with, with this? It's exactly that. Exactly that. Uh, we, we both, uh, both sides slide into this victim mentality. You know, this, we, we, it's so easy. It's so easy to rationalize why we're doing these things. It's so easy to say, well, I'm here for my kids. It's so easy to say, well, you know, we're, one more time. It's so mm-hmm. easy to say he didn't mean it. It's so easy to say, well, nobody else understands. You know, those things are all so easy to say, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the hard thing is to actually look in the mirror and say, this isn't what I want. And let's start building a, a road forward. Yeah. Lastly, cap off this conversation. I think, um, validation is a concept that did not come natural to me. Um, I was never tested on the narcissism scale when I was in active addiction, but it was something that didn't come natural to me. And it, the lack of empathy mm-hmm. is sort of empathy. And I think validation go hand in hand in many ways. Um, the ability to sit there and listen to someone, even if you don't agree and just empathize, put yourself in their shoes. But how important is validating somebody to their recovery? Yeah. I mean, validation is very important. Uh, so is empathy um, walking through this process together uh, leaning on each other, uh, is, is crucial in building a relationship together moving forward. Yeah. I think a lot of times we think that there are right answers and wrong answers. And when it comes Mm -hmm. to your recovery journey, there's oftentimes there's really not. Mm -hmm. Um, so when someone says, um, you know, I've, I've been abused, then people start asking questions. They victim blame and do all kinds of things. And then it's invalidating their experience. Oftentimes mm-hmm. what we found is if people get anything from the show at all, it's the validation that mm-hmm. I don't have to feel crazy anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that alone is enough to spur the, 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 the empowerment and the self-love that gets them more interested in what does recovery look like? Yeah. It's the same thing that my therapist did for me when I was in recovery. It's uh, or in treatment. It was, you know, I could, I sat there and I rationalized why I did the things I did. I was a chronic pain sufferer. This was true. Yeah. Um, but this is why I used uh, 60 Oxycontin a day, <laughs> you know, like this makes no sense, but I rationalized it and they didn't tell me I was a scumbag. They didn't tell me I was a low life or morally weak. They just said, I understand. I understand. Yeah. 
and it's okay. And I'm like, wow, no one's ever said that to me before. And it, mm-hmm. it was a really healing thing to hear. It was yeah. a really thing to hear. I yeah. think that if we've ever done anything for people, I hope that they've gotten that from this. And I think mm-hmm. that the course that we've built um, really gets there. Yeah. And you did an amazing job at doing that. You're the best listener I know. Thank you. So. <laughs> so. You're pretty good, too. <laughs> I'm a professional listener. <laughs> this is what I do. I'm trained in it. <laughs> well, mine just comes naturally. Oh, gosh. Oh. <laughs> she said, take your, take your degrees and just show them. I did this naturally, man. She went straight to the pros without money, ever having to. And all these sheets of paper. <laughs> Okay. Um, while we're here, we'll finish it up with just uh, one last topic, and then I want you to talk about the Counseling for the Futures Foundation. Sure. Um, the best path forward for people that feel just hopeless and stuck. Like, I'm hopeless, I'm stuck. We talked a bit about it when we came to values, and it's like loss of identity and all these things that result as being in these relationships. What is the best path forward for someone who just feels hopeless and stuck? First uh, is know that you are not alone that you were not alone to know that it's okay to be here, that it's not your fault, that this is just where you are right now. Three, let's pick a direction. Let's start walking. Yeah. It's not much more complicated than that. Is it? Let's pick a direction and go. I love that. Mm-hmm. Sitting still gets you what you got yesterday. Yeah, I don't really care which direction because wherever we start walking is going to be better than here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We'll figure the rest out later. Maybe we've got to take the long way around, but it's going to be better than here. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. Okay. The Counseling for the Futures Foundation is something that you started. Has it been two years now? Yeah. We started Counseling for the Future Foundation. Uh, we're in our end of our second year. Yeah. Talk to us a bit about the mission there, where this came from, where it started, mm-hmm. and what you hope to achieve with it. Well, really, um, you know, I'm very blessed in life uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, but one is I've just had good mentors and good people that have always told me to invest in me. Right. And so, so I did that. Uh, I took out a lot of debt. <laughs> <laughs> PhD stands for in a lot of debt. <laughs> uh, and you know, I, I was able to work through that. I was able to get all that resolved. I was able to pay my debt. Um, but uh, for a field that does not have a very high return on investment, like mental health, being a professional therapist, um, the burden of student loans for a lot of these kids is just, it's too much. And so it'll turn people away from going into the field because they can't afford to pay the loans. They can't afford the, the education. It's very expensive. Uh, I was, um, in my office, uh, a little over two years ago, almost three years, I think three years ago. And one of my support staffers, one of our employees came in, she was in school to become a therapist. And, uh, she was just in tears because she had to drop out of school. She's like, I have to drop out. I I can't afford school anymore. I can't afford to take on any debt. Um, I just, I, I can't afford to be a therapist. And for me, that was just tragically sad. So I said, that's well, one that's just dumb because society needs you. We need you exactly you to be a therapist. You're the type of person we need being a therapist. Uh, and so I offered to pay for her school. So I said, Hey, let me build a scholarship for you and we'll put you through school, uh, on the condition that you pay it forward with a dedication to some kind of affordable mental health care when you get out so that you can help people. And so that person is now graduated. Um, she is, uh, in the mental health field right now, uh, doing exactly that. Woo woo. 
So that's cool. It's incredible. So the foundation's cool. raising money to put people through their um, yeah. their their masters or doctoral level programs debt free, which yeah. is huge. Yeah. So we raise private funds uh, so that we can build a full ride scholarship for a student in school studying to become a therapist. The only requirement is that we ask that they make a dedication to affordable mental health care. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It really is. Yeah. And it's been a pleasure to be part of it. Yeah. And I've been to uh, some of the fundraisers and hearing the stories of therapists that have been able to take maybe a lower paying job at a school mm -hmm. district or something along those lines where it matters to the people mm -hmm. who need it most. And the only way mm -hmm. they were able to do that because they're willing to do it. Only way they're able is that they don't have that debt payment. That's right. Where the interest rates sit right now too. It's just, it's incredible how fast yeah. you can eat your budget. Yeah. So this is huge. I, I love, I love the mission. Um, mm -hmm. You can check it out at counselingfutures.org. Mm -hmm. um, you can go there. Um, every dollar you donate goes straight back to the, um, well, I guess we have maybe a, a dollar in fees a month from the bank that we got to get sorted out. We got it sorted. We got this sorted. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, but all administrative fees are paid directly by the board members. Yeah. Uh, so board members donate their own money uh, to make sure those fees are all paid. So every dollar that you donate goes straight to the cause, Yes, which is a beautiful thing. You don't mm -hmm. find that too much. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if you can head over there, even if you have to give a, if, if you can give a dollar, it matters. It means something It's going to a good place. Mm -hmm. It's not being scalped off the top. That's right. Okay. We have anything else? No. We've covered a lot here. This yes. has been a pretty robust episode. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank I'm you so much for being be here. here. I think oftentimes we pick like one topic and stick with it. We sort of rabbit fired through all kinds of stuff. No, just that's good. Great. Um so I hope the listener, you the listener, got something from that. I think it's a valuable conversation coming from from you, Chris. I think that it's um it means this that much more because you've always been someone that uh, Paige and I have both looked up to. Um because of your empathy, because of the, and, and not just the empathy, like not just the fact that, that you're awesome, but that you've got the, you've got the chops to back it up and that you've done this stuff in real life. You've got applicable um, experience in this field. Now, there couldn't have been a better person that, that, that we picked. Um, or maybe, I don't know, maybe it was something bigger than us that picked, that put us together. I, th I have to believe that too, that, that we're in this together. And I think that um, the, the course that we built and the information that we put out is going to help a mm -hmm. lot of people. I believe that wholly. Uh, I really do. I think that the course is just the beginning uh, mm. of, of what, what is going to be out there and available to people because there are not a many resources for mm -hmm. spouses and partners. There just aren't like a guy like me can turn a corner and hit three rehabs. Right. You know, oh, and three liquor stores. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's not a lot for spouses and partners. No. It's just not. So No. Uh, well, was, look, I appreciate that very much. Um, I'm an okay therapist, but I'd say what I'm really awesome at <laughs> is ordering Chinese food, <laughs> right? Because I order way better than Paige does. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Sweet and sour chicken is way better no. than sesame, sesame chicken. chicken. Sesame chicken. No. Mm -mm. no. With a side of sweet no. and sour sauce. No, you should let the audience decide in the comments below. Okay, yeah. Sweet and sour or sesame. Sesame. Sweet and sour. Sesame all day. Okay, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> well, that's all we have. We thank you for being here today. Uh, I am Matt. I am Paige. And we'll see you. Bye. Bye.